we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word, guide and show us what you would want us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Paul is continuing his discussion of Jesus being the great high priest and moving into this chapter. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abiding a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent was not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises." And without all contradiction, the less is blessed by the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he received them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may say, Levi also who receives tithes paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in his loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Let's stop there. (laughs) So we're looking here... And they're still talking about Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, at the very least, is a picture of Christ. But many of us, including myself, believe that he was a Christophany, a picture of Jesus before his birth. So we're looking here and it says, This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham after a returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And if you don't know the story, this comes from Genesis 14. Uh, Lot was captured in a battle of the nine kings in all. Five kings attacked four kings in in Sodom and Gomorrah. And they defeated the lands of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they carried everybody hostage. And the message came to Abraham that Lot had been been taken hostage, and he went out with his his band of soldiers, I guess, or well-trained servants, defeated the five kings and rescued Lot, and on his way back met Melchizedek. So that's a recap of the story. And so they met him out there, and Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And this is something that Paul is going to make a big deal out of, is that the greater blesses the lesser. And we'll get more to that when we get there. And it says in verse 2, And Abraham gave a tenth part of all first... uh, So we'll just start that. He gave a tithe to Melchizedek. And this is what God asks for, is a tithe of everything that's brought in. And so this is Abraham saying, This person is a man of God, representing God. I'm giving him a tenth of all the spoil that had been, been recovered and met him. And then, not quite sure why it's all in here, but it says, by interpretation, uh, being first by interpretation, king of righteousness. 
This is what Melchizedek means. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And then he's the king of Salem, which means the king of peace. So when you look at these titles, you're going, this sounds an awful lot like Jesus, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Um, and that is what Melchizedek is, and he's the king of Salem. And so we look at all of this, and you know, when we read all of this, and we read this chapter especially, we really begin to think that this is a Christophany on it, because he just pops into existence and disappears. There's no other reference to him in the Old Testament other than Genesis 7, uh, Genesis 14. <laughs> uh, he just pops in, no, no, no reference to him, no, no speaking of him. He's not referenced anywhere else. And Paul basically says he's without beginning, without end. Um, which, when you read all these descriptions, you're going, sounds an awful lot like Jesus. And I think that was what he was laying out the case for that this was a Christophany, that this was Jesus that was being honored and going forward on here. Then in verse 3 it says, Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, which abides a priest forever. And so he's given in this description, no, no mother, no father, uh, no history, <laughs> no beginning, no end. <laughs> and so he's really trying to meld these two, two images together of Jesus and Melchizedek. And then he says, a priest continually. And this is really being pictured of Jesus who is the priest. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Jesus is the sacrifice, but he's also the priest uh, that he goes up. And then he takes his blood from the cross takes it to the Father at the mercy seat of heaven and presents the blood of the sacrifice to the Father in heaven as the high priest in heaven so that our sins can be forgiven permanently. So he is the sacrifice, then he takes his own blood to heaven to present to the Father and says, this blood is to cover the sins of the world. And they don't know that that's Jesus? What's that? Well, there's debate. I believe that it was a pre-incarnate Christophany of Jesus. Uh, and mo many people do. I mean, if you read the, the commentaries and, and opinions, a lot of people believe that Melchizedek and Jesus are the same person. Uh, some don't. Uh, some will go that he is a type of Christ. Either way, it works. Uh, this description from Paul makes me really believe that he's saying that Melchizedek is Jesus. Um, now, can I be definitive on that? No. But you look at this description, king of, uh, king of righteousness, king of peace, uh, without days, no, no beginning, no end. I really do believe that Paul here is trying to say Melchizedek and Jesus are the same. Um, at the very least, he is saying he's a very strong type. But either way, I'm not going to sit there and argue with somebody. If somebody wants to say he's not, that Melchizedek and Jesus are two different people, I'm not going to sit there and argue with them because uh, it's not worth it. Uh, but I do believe that they're the same. But it, he says that Jesus abides a priest continually uh, with this. Now, we look at this and, and say, what, is, what are they trying to prove here is, Ultimately, they're showing 
in this chapter that the priesthood of Melchizedek is greater than the priesthood of the Levites, which were set up by law. And we can get down to this. We'll make, make this point as, even further when we get a little further into this. But he's saying Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, which was before the Levitical priesthood and continues after, will continue after the Levitical priesthood. So this is a big deal. Paul is saying if, and he's going to say it clearly in one of these verses, if the Levitical priesthood was good enough to be forever, then there wouldn't have been need for another priest. Uh, you know, not after the Levitical priesthood. And so we're going to see this argument being built up. This is the argument. And remember, he's talking to Jewish believers who are thinking about going back into offering sacrifices and following the laws. And he's saying, why would you want to do that when a greater has come? And this is something that is very important to understand because even we as Christians want to get sometimes into this formalism and just give me rules and, and instead of walking by faith, it's just give me a bunch of rules and I'll live by the rules. The only problem is we can't live by the rules. And so we see this whole process in here. And in verse 4 it says, Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. Now, you've heard the term Father Abraham probably. This is the way the Jewish people looked at it. Abraham is the top dog for them because their, their religion started, the nation started, everything starts with Abraham. And Abraham received the promise of of the great nation. He received the promise that all nations that bless him shall be blessed and all nations that curse him shall be cursed. And, you know, he is where it all starts. And when they want to pick the top, the top person in history for them, Moses and, and Elijah are real close, but Abraham is the one that they're going. Without Abraham, they would be nothing. And so this writing is, now consider how great this man was that even the patriarch Abraham honored him. And most of the stories that you read is people, Abraham is honoring other people, is not the normal story. Mostly it's them honoring Abraham. He goes before Pharaoh. After he lies to Pharaoh about his, his wife being his sister, and, and Pharaoh takes him into his court, God uh, comes in with a vision and tells him that, you know, he's in trouble, and they bless Abraham. And Abraham gives them a blessing as they come back. He goes to Abimelech, lies to him, and ends up having to bless Abimelech. But Melchizedek blesses him, and he gives gifts to Melchizedek. Both Pharaoh and Abimelech give gifts to Abraham. So we're seeing the reversal here of what's going on, because he is honoring Melchizedek and he's saying, you are greater than me. And so Paul here is telling the Hebrew people, the only one that he would, that Abraham would have been blessing like that would have been Jesus. Is basically what he's getting ready, building this case for. Or a great leader. And then he goes into this whole part, verse 5, it says, for verily 
they that are the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is their brethren, for they all came out of the loins of Abraham. So he says, Melchizedek got it from Abraham. The Levites collect a tithe and it is commanded by God to give that tithe. And this was, we've talked about this in the Pentateuch, especially Exodus and Leviticus. The people were commanded to give a tithe to the Levites. That was the Levites' income. They were to maintain the, the, well, the tabernacle at that time. They were to do all of the work and their money, that, you know, their way of living, their wages came from the people. The Levites then would give 10% of what they got to the priests. And the priest then would, would give 10% to the high priest. So there was a rolling up of the money. All right. Uh, and he's saying, this is, they were commanded to do this, though they are also from the seed of Abraham. You were to take care of your, your brothers and you were all technically equal because you were all Jewish people. But God commanded that the Levites were going to be his. And if you remember, the, remember your history from the, from the period, God says the tribe of Levi is mine. So in one sense, he took them out from being Abraham's seed into saying, you are now directly mine, God says. And that is why Joseph got a double portion because the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh were the two sons of Joseph. So Joseph, and if you look at the list of tribes, Joseph isn't listed as a tribe. His sons Ephraim and Manasseh are listed, and Levi is not listed because God said they are mine and they're not technically counted as a tribe of Israel. Even though they come out of the seed of Abraham, they are not considered a tribe of Israel because they belong to God. And then God told the tribes of Israel, you will pay a tenth to my, to my tribe and, and support them. And so all of this is going on, and this is all part of the history. And this is why this book is fun to, fun to study, because you have to know a bit of the history of the Jewish people to really understand this book. And we go through this, and he says, verse 6, But he whose descent was not counted of them, the Levites, received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. So we're going back to Melchizedek. He says, the Levites you give tithes to by the law. You're commanded to give them. But Abraham gave Melchizedek tithing by faith. He understood something that we did not understand. He goes, this man is special. He's a, he's the, he is a prophet of God, a priest of God, whatever, whatever he recognized. And he gave the tithe to Melchizedek in faith. The priest the Levites were receiving tithes by law. And then we're going to come back to Jesus who gets the tithes by grace. In the, in, in the end times, we give him, because of the grace and mercy he has shown us, we give him back just as Melchizedek got it from Abraham. By faith, he gets it. Not by law, not by rule. And this is where we as Christians have to understand we're not bound under the law. Because Jesus fulfilled the law. 
we are bound by faith, grace, and mercy to honor God. Just as Abraham honored God by faith, there was no rules for Abraham saying, well, I've got to honor God. I've got to give this 10%. I've got to do all these things to please God. He was called by God, and he obeyed God's calling, and he did things by faith. And when you read Abraham's life, you see him doing all the things that we were told to do by the law, but he did it by faith. The just shall walk by faith. And it's said three times in the scriptures, the just shall walk by faith. And so we need to be able to understand that if you want to have justice, we walk by faith. Not by trying to follow a bunch of laws. <laughs> and this is what it comes down to. Jesus completed the law. Now, he didn't throw away the law. Because we've said this, the laws all come from the heart and attributes of God. Because they come from who he is. He says, you shall not lie. Why? Because he does not lie. We shall not murder because he does not murder. You know, he does not take his name in vain. <laughs> So all of these things, all of the laws come from who he is. So if we're walking by faith in him, we will be obedient to the laws that he gives us, not because we're trying to struggle to keep them, but because we are becoming more like him. And this is where Paul is making his thing. He goes, why are you wanting to go back under the law? He goes, you were rescued from the law. You were rescued from the condemnation of the law. In Romans 8, we're told there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And here they're going, we're in Christ Jesus. Paul knows, Paul acknowledged that. These are Christians he's writing to. And he's saying, why do you want to be put back under the law, which has condemnation, which has, you know, uh, bitterness and hardship, why are you wanting to go back under the law? Walk by faith. Trust in this completed sacrifice and abide under the uh, priesthood of the Melchizedek, not under the priesthood of the Levites. And this is his old argument that Jesus is better, his priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood. And our life under him is better than it is under law. And so all of this is his argument that he's bringing out to him. Uh, and verse 7 says, For without all contradiction, the less is blessed by the better. All right? And so this is what he's saying. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, which is their top. You know, he's their top dog in their, in their belief system. All right? There's nobody bigger than, than Abraham. Not even Moses and, and Elijah are, are bigger than Abraham. And they're important. Elijah and Moses are important to them. And, and Abraham is so much above them because all of them came out of Abraham's uh, seed. And he's the top. And he says, Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham is what he's making the point of. Now, we don't fully understand this statement, but this is a shocker to the, to the people when he's saying this. They know their history, but they never really applied it the way that he is saying this. That Abraham had somebody greater than him that blessed him. 
And we need to get that in mindset in here because this is the whole argument that's being made. Melchizedek was greater. This is one of the reasons I do believe that Melchizedek is, is actually Jesus because Jesus is greater than Abraham. The Messiah is greater than Abraham. And we're going through in this and it says, and here men that die receive tithes, but there he, re there he receiveth, receive them of whom it is witness that he lives. Now we go, well, what is this saying? Well, in Psalm 110, verse 4, it says that he will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this whole idea is that Melchizedek never died. And that's basically what Psalms also says. And it says that Jesus will be a priest as, after the order of Melchizedek. So he's saying here, you gave tithes to people who died in the Levites. Now you've got to be understanding that you're, it belongs to the priest that doesn't die, which is Jesus is what his argument is. You know, we're giving our allegiance. We've got a priest that does not pass away. And Jesus stands in the heavenly temple, the heavenly places where all these sacrifices are made. Now, why do we know that there's a heavenly sacrifice? Because God sits on the mercy seat, on the correct mercy seat, over the, over the law. Moses was told to be careful to do exactly as he was told because it is the picture of the real thing. And he wanted to make sure that it is a copy, an actual valid copy. And so we believe here that there's a mercy seat in heaven that the Father sits on that has the light of his presence and the seven spirits and all that. You start reading in and we can put the put the linking up of the, temp, the tabernacle to each of the things said in the scriptures about heaven. And there's a temple there that God says, I sit on the temple and the blood of Jesus was placed upon the mercy seat in heaven. So that when God, between God and the mercy seat has the law that was violated and there's blood covering the, the law sitting on the mercy seat. Verse 9, and as I may say, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So what he's trying to say here is the priests who received the tithes also gave tithes because they were in Abraham. They were of Abraham and from his seed, so they paid tithes to Melchizedek. All right, so he's saying that all of Israel pays tithes to Melchizedek because Abraham paid tithes <laughs> to Melchizedek. Um, so kind of an interesting, interesting argument on that one that the, the father of everybody did it, so you've all done it because he did it, is what, what he says on that statement. Verse 11, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there of another priest that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, which is made of necessity by change, which may, start that again. For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity, a change also of the law. For he of whom these things were spoken pertaining to another tribe, for which no man ever gave attendance at the altar, 
For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, which is, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident that there, after a similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of the endless life. For he testified, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of the better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. All right. So he goes, If therefore perfection were from the Levitical priesthood, all right, in other words, the law did not bring, pre, bring perfection. He goes, If it was, for under it the law, the people received the law, what further need was there to be a priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? If the priesthood was perfect, there would be no need for another priest, is what he's saying. All right? uh, if the law was perfect, there would be no need for grace and, and mercy to abound. So he's making his case to them, because the priesthood represents the law and, and the rules and He's getting to the saying, you're going, you're wanting to go back to the old. You're going to one, you're wanting to go back to the imperfect when the perfect has come. And this is our human nature to want to do these things, to go back to what is known, to go back to rules, to go back to following, you know, and we as people think we like rules, but we don't want to obey the rules. Just tell me what to do and I'll go do it as we don't do it. But we like rules, and I understand, because rules are a whole lot easier to follow than walking by faith. God, what do you want me to do today? Just tell me, step one to five, and I'll go, <laughs> and I'll go do it. My students, we do assignments, and all they want to do is go the steps and follow the assignments, and I'm trying to go beyond, figure out how to go beyond. And this is what God is saying. I gave you rules, but I want you to go beyond those rules to a deeper obedience, a deeper following, a more perfect following of them. Because what did the Jews do in Jesus' day? They found all kinds of ways to get around the rules. <laughs> all right, here's the rule, but it doesn't say I can't do this, 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 and this, even though it's within the spirit of that law not to do these things. But it doesn't say directly not to do them. And so they would find ways around the rules instead of abiding in the perfection of the rule and keeping for going forward. And, you know, and we all do that. Okay, God, you know, and I hear it all the time. Well, how f close can I come before I break the, break the rule? How close to the edge of the cliff can I get before I fall off the cliff? Well, I would advise you to stay as far away from the cliff as possible, not try to say how close you can get to it. And this is what this argument is all about. You have these rules. We want you to go to the perfection of the rules and not be flirting with the rules and seeing how close you can get to the rule without breaking it. Because when we're in the perfection of the rule, we're not saying, okay, what can I do and what can't I do? It's like, God, I'm just happy to obey. And this is what he's bringing out on here. Um, and then 
he goes on and says, you know, there would be no need for another priest. And then he continues, for the priesthood being changed, there is a necessity that the rules need to be changed. Because God said in the law that only Aaron could offer sacrifices. Only Aaron and his, and his descendants could go in and take and, and minister to the table of the showbread and, and light the menorah and, and bring the blood into the, into the holy of holies. Because now there's a new priesthood, namely Jesus, the Messiah. And if he's now a priest who's not of the tribe of Aaron, who's not even of the tribe of Levi, then there has to be some changes in the law. And this is what he's, what he's talking about. Because in their mindset, the law was all, all that was important. Abraham and the law and the priests were all that was important. And he's building this case saying, Jesus, the Messiah, is a priest, as we know from Scripture. <laughs> he's a king and a priest, but he's not of the tribe of Levi's or of the family of Aaron so how can he be a priest and so he's been if that's true and it is then he can't then there has to be a change in the law to go back before the law and so all of this comes down to he's going the law was important but it laid down an imperfect picture and we need to go beyond what the law lays down and again just as obedience to the law he's saying go back to before the law and, and live by faith. And faith in God and his possession of us will lead us to obey the law, but obey it in a much different way. And this is why I keep saying to us, you know, with God in us, he makes us like him, and then we find that we're obeying the law without having to concentrate on obeying the law because he is making us like himself. And the law is all based in him. And this is what Paul is saying here. He says, there had to be a change. <laughs> there's a priesthood that's not of Aaron, so God says, he says, there's something we don't understand. And this is why it's important for us to always be able to go to the scriptures and say, is there anything I don't understand? And if you take it with that attitude, the answer is yes. <laughs> there's always going to be something you don't understand or you don't understand deep enough. How have I said it many times? You know, how big do you think God is? I don't care how big you think God is, you don't have a big enough God. How much love does God have for us? I don't care how, much you, how, how big and deep you think his love is, you don't understand his love. We don't understand his mercy. We don't understand his grace. We don't understand his holiness. Because no matter where we think we are on any of those topics, God is infinitely more than what we think. The word is his, which means the word is infinite. I tell you, I can, it has been said that you could study the same verse every day for, the, for years and still get new stuff out of it, and I believe that's true. Because God would show you more and more about how infinitely more he is. Now, it might get boring trying to study the same verse that long, but, but it has been said that you probably could, and I think as long as it's not he wept, you probably could. But you know, if you really thought about he wept, there's, there is a huge amount in there showing his compassion, his love, his caring for the people. That verse is more powerful than most people really, you know, kids will memorize it. They go, I memorized a verse, he wept. Okay, what does it mean? 
Uh, I don't know. Well, let's, let's figure it out because that is a powerful verse to understand God. And so here's this problem. He's saying we're going beyond the law. We're going, the, the law is being changed into a deeper, more perfect meaning because of the order of Melchizedek that Jesus is, a, is the priest of. And then it says, for whom all things were spoken pertain, uh, were, of these were pertain, for he of whom these things were spoken pertaining to another tribe which no man gave attendance to the altar. And again, the law said that he had to be a Levite, or basically a, not even a Levite, but a member of Aaron's family. And then he goes, Jesus was of Judah. And he had to be of Judah because Judah was the line of the king. All right? Uh, Jacob, when he blessed his children, told Judah, the, the scepter will not depart from your, your tribe. And this was before there was a king. He going, you're going to be the ruler, your, your tribe is going to be the ruler and it will not leave. And later on, David became king and he's of the tribe of Judah. So when Saul was made king, it was not according to the scriptures because he is from the tribe of Benjamin. So he could not be the ruler of Israel in all of this. And so, and then he goes on that said, hey, of Judah, of Judah, Moses didn't say anything about Judah. All right? Now, and being, being able to, to minister in the temple. And Jesus is from that tribe, and he's saying, there has to be a new king. There has to be, there has to be a new rule for, for a king to be the priest. Because how many kings got in trouble for trying to be priests? A couple of them. Uh, and a couple of the good kings. You know, Hezekiah went in, and he tried to offer incense. And God struck him with leprosy. And another one of them had his hands shriveled. You know, there's other, you know, that, that had the wrong idea that they could be the priest while they were king. And here Paul is making this case that Jesus of the tribe of Judah is also a priest. He has the right to offer sacrifices in the actual heavenly temple. And we see this beautiful picture being developed that Jesus is drawing together all the aspects of this. Satan has convinced many monarchs over the, over the centuries that they were God. That was true in Egypt. The, king, the pharaohs all thought they were God. Uh, many other places, Caesars, all thought they were gods. And Satan has taken this picture of Jesus being God, priest, and king and has melded these into false religions over the years. And we've, we understand the falseness of it, but they did not understand it. And all of these pictures that went out on it. And then he goes, verse 15, and it is yet far more evident that for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, just like Melchizedek. So again, at the very least, Melchizedek is a type of Christ, or he is a pre-incarnate picture of Christ, and then Christ comes in the flesh and becomes a priest after, he after his death, burial, and resurrection. He becomes a priest for us. 
and this is, his, this is where he's building, uh, who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of endless life. So he's made the, the priest not after laws, because the law would mean that he'd have to be a Levite, but after the commandment of God from heaven, that he is the priest. And then it says, For he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here is a direct quote of Psalm 110, verse 4. It is understood that this is a Messianic prophecy, even by the Jews. And so we see Jesus being lifted up. We have Melchizedek, a picture of the priesthood of God, by God's mercy. We had the Levitical priesthood shown by law. And now you have Jesus, who is a declaration of God by prophecy to be the priest. So we're leaving law. We were pre-law with Melchizedek. We have the law for, for Aaron. And then we have Jesus, who is the priest by prophecy post-law. And right now we see when Jesus died, the temple was destroyed and there has not been a sacrificial system or, or Levitical priesthood for 2,000 years. The Jews want to build their third temple and reestablish Levitical priesthood, which Satan will come in in the middle of the tribulation period and say, oh, by the way, you're worshiping me, I'm God. And their eyes will be opened that they are doing what they're not supposed to be doing. And they will flee Jerusalem and be covered and protected by God for the rest of the tribulation period. Because Jesus, the law changed when Jesus died. Uh, the Levitical priesthood was basically ended because the sacrificial system was ended. There's no need for a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Now we do know that during the during the uh, millennial kingdom, there will be burnt sacrifices and peace offerings. But those are not sacrifices for forgiveness of sins. They're the, the offerings for dedication and for thanksgiving with God. And those ones are said that they will continue to go on during that period of time uh, because they're not the uh, offering for sin. And we have to understand that because people have a hard time understanding that when they don't understand that there are seven offerings that could have been offered. Jesus fulfilled most of them because he was the sin offering. He was the, the, the debt offering and, and those offerings. But the, the peace offering and the burnt offering was our, to show our dedication to God, or not ours because we don't offer them, but for the Jews to show their dedication to God. The burnt offering, you, burnt, you burned an animal rather than yourself to say I'm totally de dedicated to God. And the peace offering was, God, I just want to celebrate you. And a third of it went to God, a third of it went to the, the priest, and you got to take a third of it or a third or a half of it back to, your, back to your family and friends, and you had a great big party celebrating your dedication and your thankfulness to God. And those sacrifices will continue. Um, and so we have all of this going on, and he says, Jesus was made an, a priest after God's command. 
not after the law. And then it says, for he testified, we read that. Uh, for 18, for there is verily a disannulment of the commandment going before for the weaknesses and the unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of the better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. So he's basically saying the law was weak. He goes, we're disallowing, disannulling the law. We're getting rid of the law because it was not strong enough to bring salvation. And over and over again, his letter to the Romans shows all over that the law was there for one reason, to show us that we're sinners. And that's what the law does. The law tells us that we are not perfect because we as human beings, whenever we're given a rule, the first thing we want to do is break that rule. All right? Uh, it's just natural history, a natural you know, part of being fallen. Stay off the grass. What's the first thing you want to do when you see a sign saying stay off the grass? You want to go walk on the grass just to prove that you can do it. Wet paint, you got to go touch it. Uh, you know, don't do something, you know, and I've told you, I, you know, you got all these homeowners associations and stuff that tell you you can't do things, you know. You know, if they were to tell me I can't paint my house pink with purple polka dots, I would be wanting to paint my house pink with polka, purple polka dots, even though I didn't want to live in that kind of house. I'd want to do it just to show you that I could. That is what happens when we are given rules. <laughs> we tend to want to violate those rules just because. Just because it's there, I want to violate the rule. And this is what he's saying. The rules did not do good. They did not save. They did not bring life. They brought death. They brought condemnation. They brought understanding that there was nothing there. And he says, but the bringing in of a new hope, the death of Jesus Christ and grace and mercy brought life. And this is the beautiful part of it that is out there that we draw nigh to God. And I like that because by which we draw nigh to God because of Jesus. Because what happened, even at Sinai, God was ready to reveal himself to the people and in the lightnings and thunders on Sinai, the people said to Moses, uh, we don't want to go up there, you go up there. And the result was Moses brought down the laws of God saying, okay, you want to live by rules? Here are the rules. And you're not going to be able to live by the rules, but here's, you asked for rules, here's your rules. And they walked under the rules for 2,000 years, walking under the rules that they could not keep, trying to find ways to obey rules and not be under the grace of God because they rejected the grace of God and saying, Moses, you go up. You go talk to him because we are so afraid of him. And people are still today afraid of approaching God through the grace of Jesus Christ because they want rules. Verse 20. And insomuch as notwithstanding an oath, he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swore and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament 
And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continues forever, forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him, to God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became, uh, became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from, sin, from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needs not, who needeth, who needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law makes men high, high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which is which was since the law makes the son who is consecrated forevermore. So. He goes, insomuch as notwithstanding an oath, he was made priest. So he, he goes, he was made priest by a promise. Not by law, but by a promise. And then he repeats again that he made him an oath that he swore and he will not repent. You are, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Paul is quoting Psalm 110 verse 4 over and over again to point out that this Messianic scripture was referring to Jesus. And he says, Jesus is a priest. Why? You guys are wanting to go back to the Levitical priesthood. You want to go back to the rules, but Jesus is a priest that is higher and better than the Levitical priesthood is his point. And quit wanting to go backwards. <laughs> quit wanting to go back under the law is his point. And then he goes, by, in verse 20, by so much was Jesus made surety of a better testimony. And this word surety is sponsor or creator of the, the New Testament. He is the fulfillment of this New Testament. He is put in as a first order of this, of this new covenant that was coming in, a New Testament. And this is why we have the New Testament. Jesus fulfilled the law and we're back under grace and mercy which they were before the law when God dealt with Abraham Isaac and Jacob and even Moses he was dealing with them in grace and mercy not by law he says I'm telling you what to do and you're obeying by faith and then the people did not want to live that way they wanted rules and laws and God gave them rules and laws to show that they can't live by rules and laws and he goes, you Hebrews are wanting to go back to the rules and laws instead of walking by faith. We have a new covenant. Jesus fulfilled it. He's the high priest of the new covenant. He has made a new covenant for us. And, and he says, they were truly many priests because they suffered or were hindered to continue by reason of death. In other words, we needed lots of them because they died. <laughs> uh, you know, but this man, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. He died once for our sins. He's resurrected. He will not die again. And he will come back and he will reign in this world for a thousand years. Then he will destroy it. And then he'll reign forever in the new heaven and new earth as king and, and priest. You know, and this is his point. You want a priesthood that changes. 
you have a new high priest every, every few years. When one dies, you have a new high priest. And even in Jesus' day, by the time he's writing, their high priest changed every year because there were so many priests that they gave more of them a turn than, than, than just making them live their, do it for their entire lifetime. He goes, every time the high priest changes, they change some of the rules. Now, this is the way things are with Catholicism. Every time there's a new pope, there's new rules. <laughs> you know, every time there's new, new, new sheriff in town, the rules change. <laughs> And he's saying, but Jesus is the high priest forever. The rules are not going to change again because he is the high priest. And he's allowing you to walk by faith in him, being clothed in righteousness, because he is the one that has clothed us. What a beautiful statement on he says. You don't have to worry about new rules, new way of life, because you're not being run by rules. You're being run by grace and faith. And then he goes on to to go, um, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God. He is able to save to the uttermost, which really is the word for perfection. He saves us to perfection because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Anybody that comes to him or comes to God through him, is made perfect. And this is the beauty of our salvation. When we come to Christ and accept the sacrifice that he made, the Father declares us perfect. He justifies us. Now he's going to spend our lifetime making us who he said he's are, sanctifying us, but we are seen as perfect before the Father because that is what Jesus did. He died to cover our sins. And when we come to him and accept that salvation, we get the righteousness of Christ, so now we can stand before the Father in perfection because of this, of our, our sins are covered. Those who don't come to Christ are going to go try to stand before God in their own righteousness, and they're going to stand before God in filthy rags and be rejected. And here's that perfection again that we're going to stand. And then it goes, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. This is the beauty of this. Satan comes up, he attacks his, God's children, says, you know what that child of yours did down there? Jesus stands up and says, uh, Father, that my blood covers that. My blood covers that. He's always in heaven making intercession, which is what the priest did. The priest stood between man and God, offering sacrifices and and prayers for the people. They were a shadow of what Jesus is going to do because they were not perfect. Because I can tell you many times they probably didn't want to be offering those sacrifices. They didn't want to pray for those people. Uh, They had trouble praying for people, just like any of us would. But Jesus in heaven is saying, Father, that's, our, that's mine. That's my bride. I covered that. that that's covered. That's covered. Satan is, a, is, you know, we think about Perry Mason being the great lead, you know, lawyer that never loses a case. Jesus never loses a case. He always wins the case because he goes, Father, I paid that price already. That, that, that's, my, that's my bride. That's your, your child. They're, they're covered by the blood. 
over and over, that's his argument. And covered, 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 already paid for. And so we see this. For such a high priest became us. <laughs> you know, is preeminent to us, actually, is what he's saying on this. Is he's greater than us. And it says, he is holy. He is undefiled by sin. He is perfect. He is, it says harmless here, and it says without guile who fears no one. Jesus has no fear. He is not a liar. He is not trying to trick people. <laughs> this is what harmless in, the, in its definition means. Uh, he is undefiled, free from the nature of sin. This is pretty, pretty heavy stuff that he's putting on these words. He's free from the nature of sin. Wouldn't it be nice if we were free from the nature of sin? Uh, I'm looking forward to that day when he takes the sin nature completely out. Now, he is crucifying it, and he makes us more and more free of it over time. But it's still always there. He does not have the sin nature. He is free from that nature. Uh, and... It says he is separate from sinners. He has never sinned. He's never become one of us in sin. And he is made higher than the heavens. He has been returned back to his state of perfection and Godhead and above the heavens. This is the priest that we follow. This is the priest that takes care of us, who's making intercession for us, who's praying for us daily who is guiding us and protecting us. And then I love this. He needs not daily as those high priests to offer a sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. So Jesus is not up there. The priest had to go. The first thing they had to do when they went to serve, they had to offer a sacrifice for their own sin. Then they could serve as the priest for the people. So they would go in and offer a sacrifice, then they could give the sacrifices for the people, and even then they weren't perfect after that because they had bad thoughts and, and wrong decisions and everything, but they, they were covered for that day by offering a sacrifice. And Paul, Paul is saying, Jesus doesn't have to go offer a sacrifice for himself. He is already perfect. And then he doesn't have to offer daily for the people's sacrifice, for he says, for this he did once, when he offered himself up. Do you realize that Jesus offered himself? And this is why I love the, you know, when he was standing before Pilate, Pilate says, I have the power to release you. And he says, you would have no power unless it was given to you. Do you realize that Jesus was in control of everything that happened during that period of time? During Garden of Gethsemane, they could have fought and, and killed those, those soldiers that were coming to arrest him. He could have stopped them from binding him. He could have stopped them from, being, from abusing him. At any time, he could have said to the father, they're not worth it, I'm coming home. You know, they're, I, I don't care. We'll just leave these people all to Satan. I don't care. They're not worth it. I'm not going to go through this pain. But he didn't. He never called the angels to rescue him. He said, I am going to go, and I'm going to go to this cross. And then on the cross, his love held him on the cross. His love for us held him on the cross. Even when he became sin, he remained on the cross. 
and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is after he became sin. His love held him in place. His love fulfilled the sacrifice. Jesus himself, as God, allowed himself to be crucified for us. This is powerful things when we think about it. And Paul is saying he did it once and for all. He doesn't have to go and sacrifice himself every day. He doesn't have to give a sacrifice for sin because he paid the debt. He had no sin to pay for, and he paid for all of man's sins with one sacrifice. And people go, you know, people trying to create, well, how can he die and pay for everybody's because he's God? He is an infinite God who could take the infinite sins of man, well, the finite sins of man, on the cross with him. Because even though we say there's lots of sins, there's still only a certain number of sins that man commits in the time that man is alive. And he paid for all of those sins. From Adam and Eve's first sin to the last sin in the millennial kingdom, he died for sin. All the sin that will ever be committed, he died for and paid the price for. So that we have two options, to stand in the righteousness of Christ or to stand in our own righteousness before God. I, I have opted as a, being saved to stand in the righteousness of Christ. I do not want to stand in my own righteousness and be judged. When people stand before God at the white throne judgment, they're not, standing for, they're not going to be criticized for their sin because that was paid for. They're standing for not being perfect in the righteousness of Christ. They're going to stand in their own righteousness, their own filthy rags, and be condemned because they're not perfect. So even with them not accepting Jesus Christ, he still paid for their sins. He paid for, their, he paid for all the sins. So when they stand at the white throne judgment, they're standing in their own righteousness, which is filthy rags. And they're going to go up there and go, God, look at all the good things that I have done as they look down at their own righteousness. And then all of a sudden, they see their righteousness the way God sees their righteousness. Because everybody wants to say, I, I, I'm good enough. I can be good enough. I, I can earn my way into heaven if, I just, if you'll just look at my good things that I do. And Isaiah says, your good things are filthy rags. You, know, you go ahead and stand in front of God in your filthy rags and be condemned because you're filthy rags. And this is the, the parable of the wedding supper that God told us, that he provided the garments for those that were in the wedding supper. And the king came and saw the man who was not wearing it and go, why aren't you wearing the garments that I provided? Depart into utter destruction. And most people don't understand that parable. They don't understand that it's a picture of the righteousness of Christ and not, being, and, and not being in the righteousness of Christ. And this is where it is so important to understand. The righteousness of Christ is the only way that we stand before God. And if we stand, try to stand in our own righteousness, we're condemned. Because all of our righteousness has sin attached to it. We do good things because we want to get something out of it. Maybe it's even just to please God. God, if I do enough good things, I'm going to please you. Wrong motive. And our motive is wrong. We will be wearing his righteousness. Yeah. We will go to the beam of seat of Christ where he will, where he will take our works and say, this is good works done through having him do the works through us. We get rewarded when he does the work through us. Not by works that we do. 
those will all burn. But we're not losing our salvation because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he says, here is your pile of, of things that you let me do through you, and now I'm going to give you the reward back. This is what the lie of Satan says. If you do enough good things, you can earn heaven. And it sounds good to our prideful nature. If I just do enough good, I've got to do enough good, and, you know, and I will be rewarded for all these good things that I do. And God says, no, your righteousness is not good enough. It has to be the righteousness of Christ, which is perfect. Righteousness. So, and the last verse in this chapter. For the law makes men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, the promise of Melchizedek being the high priest forever, which is, was since the law, makes the son who is consecrated forevermore. So after the law was stated that there would be a pre, another priesthood, and this is his, his whole point, if the priesthood was perfect, there would not be another, a need for a new, another priest that was talked about by David in the Psalm 110, and there was a Messianic Psalm, and people all understood that the Messiah was going to be of the line of, line of David, which meant that he had to be of the line of Judah, and yet he keeps being talked about as a priest. So he's saying you have to have a greater law, a deeper law. And this is why we look at this, and again, the more we know about God, the deeper we go into his rules, the deeper we get to know him, the more we understand him, and yet we still don't understand him. Which priest do you want? Which law do you want to be, abide under? Do you want to go back under the law, or do you want to stand under the perfection of the complete grace of God that made you perfect? Or, do you, or are you wanting to go back under the law? And even for many Christians, that question has to be answered. Do you want to go back under the law? The law reveals sin and condemnation. Grace and mercy covers our sins, and therefore there is no condemnation in, in Christ Jesus. I like that second pattern. I like that second pattern, and this is the, he's making his case. And all through Hebrews, he's making his case. You want, are you wanting to go back under the law? You got saved. The Messiah has delivered you from the law. There's no condemnation for you anymore. Why do you want to go back under the law? And unfortunately, there are many Christians that want to do just this. Go back. What's, we think it's easier because here's the law. All I've got to do is obey the law, but there's condemnation by the law when I can't keep it. And we keep going, I just want to live under, give me a bunch of rules. What was the second, is it, do you want to go back into the law? What was the other one you said? Or do you want to abide under grace and mercy, which, which covers your sins? But you know, so many times, even in churches, people get saved, and the churches don't have what they call laws, but they give you a whole bunch of rules. All right, if you want to be a good Christian, you've got to do. And every, most churches have their list of things. You know, you got to do this, this, and this, and this to be a good Christian. Oh, oh, believe me, you know, he'll he'll go. Maybe you're not a Christian because you're not following the rules. You're not following the laws. You know, uh, you didn't you didn't give your tithe. You didn't read the Bible. You didn't you you missed a service that week. And you know, in these churches, they're unofficial. You know, there's no real. You know, but. 
the body, especially of those that aren't fully devoted to Christ, start putting together their rules. You know, uh, in the early 40s and 50s, you know, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you didn't you didn't play cards, you didn't wear. You know, guys didn't have long hairs, women didn't wear pants. You know. Uh, you didn't go to movies. You know, you did all these things, and those all made you a good Christian. Well, unfortunately, none of that is in the Bible. You know, but yet they would have all these rules that made you a good Christian, and if you obeyed all these things, you were a good Christian. And if you didn't, you probably weren't a Christian. And you're right. Satan then came along. The church condemned you, and then Satan condemned you, and God's saying, well, I saved you by grace. Now, now granted, once we're saved by grace, he comes into us and we start being obedient to his rules and we start becoming obedient to the law. We start becoming, not because he says you've got to do this, but because we become more like him. Right, and we're not going to lose heaven because we don't do it. We might lose a lot of rewards in heaven for whatever a reward means in heaven, and I don't really fully understand that. In my flesh, I want lots of rewards, but I don't know what a reward in heaven is. Because he said, if you want to be great in heaven, you have to be the servant of all. What's it mean in heaven? I don't know. You know, I don't know. He says, you will get to be rulers of cities. Well, that sounds good to me. But what does it mean to be a ruler of a city? <laughs> I'm a manager. I like, I like being in charge of things. So, uh, But what does it mean to be the ruler in heaven? Are you still going to be the servant? Probably. <laughs> if, if servanthood was good enough on earth, it's probably going to be magnified in heaven. So we, we don't understand fully all, anything about what it means to be all of this. We don't even fully understand what heaven is or what it's going to be about. We just know little bits and pictures of it. And even then, I don't think we fully understand those pic bits and pictures that we see because heaven is heaven. Heaven is closer to God than we are in this world. And what does it mean? The closer we get to God, the more we might think we understand heaven, but we still don't fully understand it. And this is Paul's statement. He goes, you're trying to go back to the old and bind yourself by rules and laws which are nothing but con condemnation when you've been made free. You know, and we go, well, who would ever do anything like that? Well, if you remember the history of the days of slavery, when they, the slaves were made free, many of them went back into slavery because they did not know how to live in freedom. And oftentimes we do that as Christians. God has made us free. God, I don't know how to live free. Put me back under those rules. And this is Paul saying to them, don't go back under the rules. You were made free. Learn to live with freedom. And this is what we need to do as Christians. Learn to live with freedom and liberty. Doesn't mean that we do whatever we want and live however we want and, and sin just because. But learning to live the way God wants us to live is so powerful and so freeing. And yet we tend to want to go back to rules. And even after 50 years, I tend to want to live under rules. It's easier to live under rules that I make for myself. It's not. It's not because now you have to listen to God and follow his desires, not just the rules. And his rules were not fully his desires. 
Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Help us to learn to live with freedom and to learn to listen to you close enough to follow your desires and not put ourselves back under bondage all the time. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.